Hey guys, just a quick disclaimer before you listen to the podcast. We did have a couple of network issues during the recording, which interrupted some of the conversation at times, but I hope you can enjoy the podcast anyway, and we'll make sure to clean up that for the next episode. Boom, and we are live with episode two of the Tempo Shift podcast. And uh, once again, I have a very special guest with me. He is an Overwatch veteran, someone who's been around the scene. He's worn a lot of hats. He's been on several successful contenders teams. He's walked the path to pro. He's been a caster. He's been a podcast host. Basically, he's done a lot of things. And most recently, he's known as the Slayer of NYXL, being part of the only team who has actually beaten the uh, Korean giant, not once, but twice this regular season. How are you doing, Dogman? I'm good. Thanks, Spinner. That was an intense uh, introduction, man. <laughs> I like it. Thank so, you. No problem. So what's going on with, uh, I guess, in the, in the Atlanta rain camp now that the uh, mid-season break is kind of uh, winding down? What, what are the mood, what's the mood like? What are you guys uh, doing to prepare for uh, the rest of the season? Uh, how has the mid-season break been? What's, what's going on in your camp? Um, yeah, we're just starting up scrims. Uh, I, during the mid-season break, had, uh, had All-Star, so it was, like, a mixture of, like, a, I don't know, it was, just, like, All-Star, All-Star break was, like, right in the middle of where my break was supposed to be, so I had to, like, adjust what I did with my break, I guess. Um, but we, we started scrimming pretty recently, and we didn't, we didn't take too much time off since we wanted to get back immediately and, you know, stay on the, um, Stay on the rise because, you know, some other teams are still on. I think some other teams are still on a break. I, I could be wrong, but I think people are at least just getting back now. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, we're just we're getting back into scrims and getting back in the swing of things, I guess, kind of. Mm. That's interesting, actually, that you mentioned uh, All-Stars because I had forgotten about that event a little bit because kind of going into it, like, I didn't have much of an interest in it. It felt like, well, just let the guys take a longer break you know it's just it felt sort of like a pesky event that you should kind of get over with but then when i watched it it was actually quite fun what was it being what was like sort of being part of the event um yeah it was fun i mean it's like yeah i guess like we were talking about the nba before before the podcast Mm -hmm. like all-star all-star break in the nba compared to overwatch is like kind of a joke yeah and and the biggest thing is definitely like world cup and stuff like that like those are like the prestigious events that happen in Overwatch, um, but also Rake was fun. I mean, it, we we got to do really whatever we wanted. We could like walk through. We could chill behind people's cameras if we wanted to and troll them, or su- support them or whatever. Um, and then the back, you like during the dugout area, you saw all the Korean players and you know all the NYXL and stuff like that. So that was fun, especially because I was in Overwatch League last year. So it was it was cool to um, to more or less idolize those players. Uh, last year, so um, I don't know. It's just fun to see them back there. I think I think Pavane said I was better than Jonak at one point. So <laughs> nice, I'll take nice, it. nice. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's the interesting thing. Like you mentioned, you weren't part of the league last year. You just kind of you're what I would sort of classify as a veteran rookie because you have been around. You feel like a veteran, but you are making you're sort of making your debut season. So before we kind of talk about the Atlanta rain in your season so far, I'm sort of very interested in kind of talking through your path to pro and taking, you know, looking at it from different angles, especially from in the sense that I think nowadays when we look at the tier two scene, it feels like 
a lot of players are trying to speed run to the Overwatch League. It feels like anyone who has a little bit of short-term success, they feel like they're almost entitled to making the league. Whereas I think back in the day when I was coming up, when you were coming up, we really didn't, you know, there was no six-figure contract waiting on the other end if you became the best player in the world. We were just kind of doing it out of passion. We were, you know, I know that I sacrificed relationships, friendships, job security, everything. And I know from, you know, reading on your story and everyone who's read your story, everyone knows that you did that as well, being, uh, you know, thrown out of your, thrown out of your house uh, by, the par- by your parents, sacrificing everything, really just putting your life on hold to pursue this one dream. And... You know, and and I think the mentality has kind of changed a little bit. Do you, do you feel like you're sort of better for it, having gone through those trenches? And what do you think about kind of the mentality in tier two uh, right now? Do you think they can learn something from kind of the way you approached your journey? Yeah, I mean, uh, we might we might both have the what is it, the gaming addiction, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the the disease or whatever that the help or yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think. I think over everything, I mean, yeah, I think it like it made me a better person. I mean, I'm not that old too for being for being a a veteran too. I'm like I'm 20, um, yeah. so people think I'm older. I know when Fry came on the team, he thought I was like a lot older than I am. So I mean, it, yeah, I've I've been around since the start just because I wanted to to go pro. That was like the whole reason I I played Overwatch because when I was in high school, I was just like nonstop gaming, like playing Counter Strike and you know all these. I just I was playing games to to go professional, and then pretty much I was like trying to find a game to go pro in before I was like 18, pretty much. Um, and then Overwatch came out right when I was 18, so sorry. Um, basically, I just I just, just grinded Overwatch, and um, I think that the difference between now tier two and and back then is that the the, the line between tier two and one like wasn't so well drawn, like. You could you could play and you could scream against tier one teams if you were good, right? But now if you're a contenders team and you're good, the only the only real like chance you have to scream an L team is probably your 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 sister team, right? Um, so I don't know. I I think that the the what people need to get over and need to realize in the tier two scene is that you're probably you might not go into Overwatch League, and that really shouldn't matter. The the biggest thing that matters is like just being good enough to get in the Overwatch League, or just being good enough in general, just being a good player. Um, because if you have your, your sights focused too too much on getting Overwatch League, then, you know, you'll be just disappointed constantly. Because for the most part, you probably won't get in Overwatch League. And as long as you have that mindset that you won't get in Overwatch League until you, like, I don't know, just prove it to yourself that you're actually a good player, then um, mm-hmm. you just won't. So that, that was my biggest thing. I just changed my mentality. Just like, cause I, cause I've been disappointed like many a times, like not getting on good teams or, you know, not getting in the Overwatch League in the first place. So I mean, it just takes like those experiences to realize that you need to go after a different goal, I guess. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, you've been very consistent in kind of having that mentality. You've constantly said that you, you know, there were several times during which you were asked, you know, do you want to be in the league or whatever, and you were like. I don't feel like I'm ready there. I'm not, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm there as a player yet to make the jump. And I think if you look at last season, I think as evidenced by last season, there were a lot of players, I think, who kind of made the league ahead of schedule, if that makes sense. I think they they came in and they were not ready for the pressure, for you know everything that comes with being part of the league. And they kind of fizzled out and then they end up kind of being 
forgotten and having short careers. Whereas I think when you come in, you have gone through the trenches, you have uh, sort of, I guess, a calloused mind in a way where you won't be easily broken by the pressure of, of the league, I suppose. And I think something that also, I think a lot of people who are in contenders don't understand is that it's very important that you find the right team when you make the jump up you know you have you, you you go into a team where you're gonna have a chance to fight for the starting spot you're not just gonna sit on the bench behind someone you know collect your paycheck but not really get a chance to show what you're capable of because that's the thing when you kind of degrade a little bit as a player and again that's not good for the longevity of your, of your career so i think it's super important for players to kind of have that mindset to not rush into the league make sure it's the right situation make sure you're ready make sure you come in and like i'm ready to make this team better and make an impact and that's why i'm com- coming over and like that's your primary reason do you think there's uh, anything to that do you think if you made the league a little earlier than you did now that you might have uh, had worse kind of worse of an outlook on on the season in your career um, I'm not sure. I mean, right now, like, like coming into the league with goats, I think it was generally easier to, um, to, I, I guess not stand out as a Zen player, but it's easier. It's generally like better for, for Zen players right now. Um, and I think, I think with, with the past, with also no replays and stuff like that in last season, I mean, I probably could have gone away with it if I was like decent. Cause I think, even during that time, I was still, like, on good teams and stuff like that. Like, uh, th- this isn't public or anything like that. Uh, or, I mean, on any Lucopedias or whatever. But I was on uh, a team, you know, so you know Toronto Esports, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, old, the old team? Yep. Um, I was on that team with, with Moth, um, Nero, Dalton, Panker, and Kraken Lacken. And we were that team for, like, six months um, before like contenders happened, and we were just absolutely dominating the tier two scene. So, I mean, personally, I think if if I made Overwatch League then, and my mindset probably would be different because like I really wanted to get Overwatch League at the time, and I, you know I felt entitled. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, maybe that could have cut my career short if I had the wrong mindset or whatever. Um, but I don't feel like the competition was maybe that strong in season one and then on top of that i think that it also meant that um i don't know the the meta the meta on top of the no replays i think would have gave me the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. because you know no one could have watched my pov if they wanted to or whatever so how could they know if i'm good or bad Mm -hmm. and especially as a zen player in in the metas that were in stage one there's not like anything you like you could do besides stats to stand out really Mm -hmm. yeah so something I'm also was curious about because you know when I was kind of preparing for this podcast, I read some interviews that you did, and something you also mentioned sort of on your way, you know, in, in your path to pros, so to speak, was that there were some opportunities in the past that you kind of lost out or you were removed from teams because you were a bad teammate, and that's I think a very interesting topic to discuss as well because I think everyone focuses on aim and mechanical skill and comms and all of these things. But I think one of the most underrated skills and one th- one of the things that I think teams are going to be much more deliberate and careful when they evaluate players in the future is how does this player function in the team? Is he a good teammate? And I, you know, I think that's something you can only learn through being on a team for a, an extended period of time. And, you know, to, to share like a personal story from, my career, it's something I also learned pretty early when I was on Luminosity. And during that time when we were kind of performing um, below expectations, we had one of those meetings when we all sit down and kind of 
lay everything on the table, if whatever is frustrating us, whatever we can change to get better. And something that kind of a feedback that I got from my teammates was that, you know, they kind of agreed with my shot call and the things that I said, but sometimes I would say it in a negative tone, especially when we were losing, I would say it in a negative tone. So they would be distracted and think about the tone and be frustrated at the tone rather than the context of what I was saying. And, you know, that's type that type of situation where if you're a new new to the role, new to the leadership role, you can either, you know, put the ego aside and improve and go like, okay, I'm failing as a captain because if my players are feeling at these frustrations in game, that means they're not performing to their full potential and I'm detracting from my team uh, despite of how good my play is in the server, right? Or at the same time, you can let you, your ego get the best of you and you can be removed from the team and your career can fizzle out, you know? And something... And I think if you can lay that to the side, I think it can be extremely liberating. I think that's when the floodgates sort of open in terms of what you can accomplish in your career, whether it's an Overwatch or in other avenues. And also as a coach, like having been an Overwatch League coach, I appreciate, appreciate it so much when I get players who have gotten over themselves, who have gotten over that hump themselves. And I know they won't be a distraction. I know that I won't have to dedicate extra time to make sure that they're behaving. And I'm just going to be able to focus on the team objective to get us better you know so uh, how important do you think that is having been in so many teams maybe in 10 teams before the overwatch league now that you are in the league how important is it and kind of how did you learn uh, to 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 get to the point where you are now um yeah i mean i think like past teams like uh i mean i, I think i got over myself in terms of like having a like a massive ego or whatever on my mechanics back like when i was a dps player back when I was, like, even playing on Collegiate Overwatch because, like, I was really, like, mean to my, my, to my team on ASU because, um, or Arizona State University when I when I played with them because I think, like, most of them were, like, diamond players and stuff like that, and I was, like, really trying to legit hard carry them into uh, winning a Collegiate. Um, and, like, for the most part, even in practice and, like, all the time, like, I, I was just unchecked. Like, they didn't, they didn't even care or... They might have cared about us being a dick, but like I was a, I was the biggest dick to like all of them. Um, and then like after that happened, I just like, and then after being on, on another team, um, after being on Kagarna, I was like, all right, I don't want to be, you know, a bad teammate. I don't want to be someone that like makes people rue coming to practice or whatever stuff like that. Like it's it definitely um, is impactful what you what you say to other people, and then also like. I, I don't know, just like those experiences help me help me grow and, and help me realize, you know, that not everything is about, you know, being some mechanical god. You have to be at least at least a good teammate, at least at least someone that doesn't, you know, ruin people's days. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I I think that a lot a lot of people I people I played recently coming into content or coming into Overwatch League and then also in Overwatch League have realized this too eventually. Um that, you know, it's important to be a good teammate and, you know, involve yourself in the team culture. And because, because I don't know, a team, a happy team is, 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 has a better chance of winning. Yeah, for sure. Were there any kind of strategies that you employed to sort of check yourself and hold yourself uh, accountable and honest uh, when you were working on these things? Um, I don't think I necessarily, I think what I, I just, I think there were just points where, like, maybe, maybe we were in a slump or something like that, and then, like, I just realized that, you know, I don't know. I, there's, nothing, there's nothing I really really did to employ or anything. I think, I think first 
the first thing that always came to my my mind in the tier two scene was just fucking was fight or flight or whatever. So it's like if we're not doing well, then I just want to fucking I want a new team, but I also still want to be you know good good and professional to my current team. So so when I at least when I was at those points where I you know when I realized it's maybe time to to move on or something like that in the tier two scene, then I should just like also stay you know stay true and you know stay stay good to everybody mm-hmm. um like just in those situations mm-hmm. um but yeah mm-hmm. so you know as you were sort of coming up and jumping from team to team and trying to make it you obviously dabbled a little bit in casting you launched ultimate advantage which was pretty much the fastest growing podcast you know i've never really seen a podcast grow that fast out of nowhere and you obviously had a lot of early success in that department. I wonder, were you at any point, because I think for every player, you reach this point where you have to make the next step decision. And I think making the next step decision is one of the hardest things to do. You know, when do you give up on your career and pursue something else, especially if you are skilled enough and you have skills in other departments where you can transition into another role within the scene. Were you at any point when you were sort of experiencing this success and maybe the playing career wasn't evolving as quickly as you wanted, as you wanted? were you at any point going, well, maybe I should just pursue this instead. I have a great opportunity to fill a gap here. Uh, or do you think sort of the inner competitor in you wouldn't have allowed it until you really turned every stone? Um, yeah, I think I did. I did all of that. I did that with, uh, with coaching, with casting, with even, with even observing. Mm-hmm. Just like... Uh, I don't know, like, there was, I think there was, like, a coaching opportunity with Renegades that I tried to go after, like, back a while, like, two years ago, um, and I was, like, 18, so, like, they didn't want an 18-year-old coach, so that prevented me from being, going to the coaching side, um, which obviously was a good thing, <laughs> but um, with casting, I still, I, I did, like, because you can't just go right into Overwatch League as a caster, um, I wanted to at least get some experience and stuff like that. So I did, uh, collegiate, uh, casting with like the, with, with the college scene with, with, um, collegiate overwatch and TESPA. And then uh, what else? And then with observing, I think like I messaged one of, one of the replay guys at overwatch league last year to see if I could help with that, um, with observing just so like I could make some money on the side while I was competing in like the tier two scene. So I think overall, I, I definitely think that I'm a competitor and I, you know, I like to play the game. Um, but I, I think that there's, it's important as, as like a, as just a, a human being to, to focus on your future at the same time. So like if there was other things that I could be doing instead of playing or something like that, or that like I, I would be better at than, than playing, then mm. yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably do it. So, so you um, think? So you think if, like, say, an offer had come over after you did the Tespa casting and all of that, do you think if an offer came over to join the league, Overwatch League, as a caster, you would have gone for that at that point? Yeah, I probably would have. It just, yeah, I think I think the most part is that they just didn't happen. So mm-hmm. it's mm. just like I fo- focus on what's like what I'm good at and what I can, what what I think is feasible, which is which is playing, right? Because mm-hmm. casting and stuff like that, I think I think I'm decent at, but. I think to to be a Overwatch League caster and stuff like that, it takes like a, a more refined and more more experience, I guess, um, in which I do not have. Yeah. So I had the experience of playing, so I figured I'll just keep 
keep playing. Yeah. I mean, you sort of have to work on your craft uh, the same way you do as a player. You know, I was, I remember back before Overwatch League when uh, Uber, Mitch was doing a, a stream and he was doing a review of his own, own cast. And I, I hadn't realized before then how much the guy thinks about his casting. Like he's watching it like we would watch a player VOD and breaking it out, breaking it down to a granular, like granular detail. And even something that is like something that might be the fault of the observer, he kind of goes, well, I could have done a better job here. I could have set something to lead the observer and then I would have done a better job. Like that's how much a guy like that commits to his craft. And you sort of gain an appreciation for uh, for the casters and how much work they put into their craft. And, you know, you understand that I can't, I can't just go in and take their job or read for their job because I'm so far off that level. I have to commit the same amount of hours. So, yeah, I mean, it, it certainly yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they joke about it and stuff like that. Like when, when I was on the desk, they're like, Oh, don't watch the 2020 fucking dog man comes up here on the desk. And it's like, that's a, I mean, I'll take the compliment, I guess, but it's like, that's definitely the, the jobs they do are like, are definitely hard. I mean, they have to focus on things like their voice and stuff like that, like voice pitch. And then also like energy is like a big factor and cast in like casting consistently. Cause you have to bring like a lot of enthusiasm every day. Um, and that might not like, depending on how you feel, that might not be like the best, but like as a player, like you can easily just adjust how you, you feel and just like, it, it won't be as apparent, I guess, that, mm -hmm. than, it, than it is as like a caster where you need to be like on your A game all the time. And then also need to be like more social and, and stuff like that so that you can like, I don't know, bond with other other casters and get their experience and stuff like that. Because each caster is good at like th at their own thing, but all of them like understand the basics of of casting and what what's like important in that regard. So, I mean, they're all they're all really smart dudes for the most part, and you know, I yeah. aspire to to perfect my craft in playing and then also in casting, like they mm -hmm. do, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like what you say about endurance as well. You know, Overwatch League, they obviously rotate quite a bit, but when you look at something like the Pacific Showdown, where one pair of casters casts for like thirteen hours straight, to me, like that's insane. Like, how can you, by the last game, put together a product like cast it in a way where it just doesn't kill the broadcast? Where I'm like, okay, I have to mute. You know, I don't understand. I really don't understand how you can stay that focused for that long. So, yeah, especially. The guys who are coming up now as as new casters, I think they're doing a really good job and really putting in the hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so moving on to sort of uh, kind of er more earlier stages of your career, I suppose Citizen Seven was kind of one of those teams where that was. I feel like that was sort of the first time when you broke into, I guess, the tier one NA ish. Um, area you guys made in made it into the i think group stages of the ng uh, winter premiere mm -hmm. uh but if i recall correctly you didn't win a single map uh so you kind of made you kind of made it into the leagues with the big boys but you weren't obviously ready to really compete at that point what, what was what was sort of the time in citizen seven like did you feel sort of accomplished or that you reached a milestone when you kind of qualified for that tournament I guess I guess the joke is what what C zero and seven or whatever. Um, so I guess we were we were the first Valiant before Valiant was Valiant with their own seven seasons. So, I mean, I'll take credit for that. I guess. Yeah. But, um, what is it? I don't know. Like when I when I was playing on Citizens 
seven. I think if I look back, I was playing. I was playing DPS. I was playing McCree on teams like CLG, um, and that that was like the near the top of like the tier two scene at the time, simply because that team had like a lot of players that would eventually go on to like other other teams like Temple Storm and stuff like that. Um, but after that team, I realized that like there was it was really hard to get like a DPS spot. So I was just kind of like going for whatever roles were open at the time. I'm pretty sure I tried out like an off tank, and then I tried out flex support with Method, um, and they didn't pick me up after Wolf got picked up to Cloud Nine. So I think, and then I think I tried out for Immortals um, as a Lucio player, um, which is now uh, Valiant, and I I like I was doing decent. I was against Pooks for the for the position, um, but I think they picked up somebody else. They picked up Verbo. Yeah. Um, but I was trying out for that position, so I was like, I should do a side project, and I should commit to whatever role I'm playing now, mm-hmm. um, which was Lucio. So I just decided to make a side project, um, which was Citizen 7. Um, and I wanted to just get, for fun, I just wanted to get all like the top collegiate players and then see if we could compete, um, and which we did pretty decent. I mean, we got, so I got like five other collegiate players, um, and I just played Lucio, and I just like tried to micro them 24-7 where I would just, like, constantly tell our Reinhardt what to do, when to use his shatter, stuff like that. Um, and it didn't really work out in the long term. But, I mean, we made, we did make the uh, the group stages. So mm-hmm. that, te- that team was definitely, like, one of the starting points. And then after then, uh, I, kept, I just decided to go back to playing Zen. Um, and then I just kind of stuck with it after then, got picked up by Splice, and then I went to Gagarna mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, yeah. So speaking yeah, about Kungarna, because I think that was an interesting chapter in your career, because especially when you guys, uh, I guess, moved back from Splice to Kungarna, you guys went into Season 0 of uh, Contenders. And if, even though Season 0 wasn't the last tournament before Overwatch League, Season 1 was, I feel like Season 0 was really one of the most important tournaments of all time for almost all players at, at that time, because basically teams... We're dropping their players. It was kind of a make or break time for a lot of guys. You know, even for me, we obviously underperformed with the Misfits in that tournament. We uh, lost in the quarters to <laughs> Bazooka Puffies of all teams, and that was kind of the end of my player career. And that was obviously the fate that I think a lot of teams suffered at the time. A lot of teams who underperformed. You saw even a team like Cloud9 who fell out of the group stage thanks to you guys. And instead of any of them making the Linden Spitfire. C9 was like, well, we have to rebuild. Let's pick up two championship rosters out of Korea, which obviously proved like a good decision. But if C9 performs well in that tournament, maybe they build a mixed roster and the history looks different. So I think that's a tournament that had so many Overwatch League implications, I guess. Uh, and I think everyone felt the pressure heading into that tournament. Were, were you guys sort of uh, in the same boat? Did you feel like this is make or break for us? We have to perform here? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, but I also think like in while while that was make or break and stuff, we were still playing in like other like tournaments, like the Overwatch Rumbles and stuff like that, where like some good teams are playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we like sort of found a gauge of where we were at the time. Like, let's see if if we go back into th- things like the Overwatch Rumble before that tournament, we played um, Cloud Nine there too, and we lost to them. So it was like. We, we kind of got, like, a gauge of where we were in the Rumble and then, like, sort of figured that, you know, I mean, obviously Contenders was, like, the big thing. So 
when we when we played in contenders, obviously there was like a lot of pressure to perform and stuff like that. Um, in which I think, yeah, I mean we did so in the in the, in the group stages, mm-hmm. and because we really wanted to qualify for season one of contenders. Um, so I guess like at that time we were still like working on getting signed and stuff like that. Um, but we're also keeping in mind that. Because I'm pretty sure that the Overwatch League was already announced for that year, right, or whatever. It was like coming yeah. up. Yeah. Um, and every and everybody knew that, I guess. So in my head, I wanted to stay unsigned so I could like get in the Overwatch League easier and not have a buyout, because I heard that like buyouts could like prevent you from getting like onto other teams because you know some people are not gonna want to yeah. pay for a buyout. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like we we our pressure was more more or less just to perform well. And then still stay unsigned, um, which obviously there's a lot of uncontrollables there because it's hard to stay um, unsigned in tier two forever because mm-hmm. then you won't, then you could just get evicted or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so was, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the big things is obviously through that tournament was that, like you said, you gain you get to qualify for season one, which is the last impression you get to make on Overwatch League teams before the league starts and to do that like i said you made it out of groups you beat lg evil who were the only team actually in that group stage to win every single game so one of the best teams in the tournament you guys uh, beat them and you ended up losing it to immortals but you still finished top four you qualified to season one but to even get to that point you guys had to win a best of one tiebreaker against cloud nine if i'm not mistaken in the group stage um yeah so and, and like to me when i think about players careers i think there's kind of defining moments or defining matches in everyone's career where a, a map here or a map there and it kind of leads you down a different path and to me it almost feels like that best of one uh for you and for like the rest of the kungarna guys was that moment do you feel like do you feel like that was one of those moments what, what do you feel like heading into that type of a predicament, I guess, best of one oasis, so much variance, and that kind of decides so much of what your future might hold. Yeah, what happened is I think we we beat, I think we beat Hammers or we we drew Hammers Esports, which had Shaz on mm-hmm. at the time, um, and like we like I think it, like they were like the worst team in the in our in our group by by far, and we like all we had to do was beat them for like. Like I think one more map or something like that, um, and then we didn't do it. So we thought we might have even 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 been out of the tournament. But like we were, like obviously, like you said, we we were like on a, this a similar record or whatever to Cloud Nine. So like we like had that one percent chance to play them for that spot, um, and then we got it. And then it was on like a waste or something like that. And yeah, I don't know. It was fun. It was a it was a good experience. And I don't know after that. Um, what was it my teammate Dre or Baby or whatever got called said that I had the the clutch gene after that or something like that. So, <laughs> so it was fun. I mean, it was good. It's good to be to know at least known within our our friend group, or whatever, or our our team that I could uh, you know perform in big moments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like a really big moment. So I think it was important to perform in that in that situation, and we did as a team and. Um, I feel like individually I did in that situation as well. So that, that definitely is carried over to even now yeah. playing against like good teams, like like we mentioned, like NYXL and stuff mm-hmm. like that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I actually remember vaguely now when I think about back to those times, I think I vaguely remember a Twitch clip or someone uploading, I think maybe it was Michael who uploaded this clip of the winning moments of that map and how crazy the comms were and how hyped up you guys were. So, it, you know, I really think that, you know, that that kind of exemplifies how big of a moment that was for all of you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think that those, like, Overwatch League right now, like, definitely doles in terms of comparison with the with the hype yeah. that uh, that those teams brought. Like, especially that match with Cloud9 and Kangarna, then with Citizen 7 when we were, like, qualifying or, like, beating good teams or whatever like that, like, I would always probably, like, yell at the top of my lungs and stuff like that um, during those situations. But now, for sure, now, now I've calmed down. I think most people generally in Overwatch League, you need to, you need to kind of be calm. Otherwise, it's, like... I mean, unless you do something big, like yeah. win a win a group stage or something like that. Yeah. Maybe that's like the goal is to get to the, you know, those highs of emotions that were more possible in those situations. Yeah, like back in the day. Yeah, like every win sort of meant a little more. Even like speaking about clips, even uh, the famous clip where McGravy kind of rolls out on Hanamura and kind of shoots people on the point when Envision I think qualified for. Uh, contenders as well oh, yeah. you know like th- those moments are just uh, so fun to kind of remember um, but sort of moving on to more recent times when uh, you eventually join LNL you guys have a great showing in contenders being a team that sort of comes up through trials you get out of groups and then eventually you get picked up by Atlanta Academy you guys perform very well you end up beating I think uh, NRG and Envious in the playoffs and then you lose 4-2 to uh, Philly in the finals. So, so during this transitional period, what, what, what did you feel like going from LNL to Atlanta, having a little more resources? What was that like? Did you feel like you, with that core of players, could make a deep run? And did you feel like you were sort of getting closer to being signed at this point? Um, yeah, I, f- I think it felt pretty good because for the most part, like academy teams before this, before before we got picked up for Atlanta Academy. Um, let's see. So we, I, I guess, like for the most part, we didn't have the majority of our team, or, or like a couple of our teammates. Like we, we didn't bring Nex and we didn't bring Decar along from LNL, but we kept Sugar Free, me, Ajax, and who else? Sugar Free, me, Ajax. I guess, I guess we didn't keep. We only kept me, th- us three, to Atlanta Academy. Um, but we got to kind of pick and choose what players we wanted to play with. And I think in the academy teams. Before this, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of the decisions were not made by like the players and stuff like that. Like teams are picking up players like piece by piece, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that like I think works in Overwatch League, but I think in Contenders, what's important is to have good synergy and also like a lot of the pre-existing things that come with the with a team before before anything else. Because um, I think mechanics and stuff like that matter, especially if you want to pick somebody up for the Overwatch League later on. But if you do that, I guess you shouldn't really consider how well they do in contenders because, like, in contenders, I think what matters definitely, like, one of the one of the bigger things is just how you, how you synergize and how how good um, your understanding of them is and stuff like that. So, I mean, we felt I felt pretty confident because we had a lot of really good players coming into Atlanta Academy. We had Gator, which was um, one of the goats originators. He was like one of the one of the first play- players that played goats. Um, and his Reinhardt was like really good, and he always had top ten and stuff like that. And then we had Hawk also coming in. Besides, besides the LNL players, I'm talking about like people that were coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Hawk, which was this like 
which is I think he's 17 now, but he was a 16 year old kid that was like really good at Diva. I played with him in the past. Um, he's probably the biggest person like that that we had to take like a leap of faith on because we didn't know how good he was. Um, and then and then we got uh, Saucy, which is also like top 10. Like all these guys were top 10 in like ladder and stuff like that, but. This, which was also stuff like that. That me and Ajax and uh, um, who else? Picked? Crap. Me and Ajax had, I guess, coming in, coming into Atlanta Academy. So I, I think we knew we could compete, um, and obviously we did. We got second place in contenders, and that was kind of like one of the bigger moments of my career, I guess, because that's kind of like one of the things that sparked me getting into the Overwatch League in the first place was performing so well in contenders. Um, so. I, I don't know. I, I think I think Atlanta Academy as a whole has a, has a good has a good lineup now, but um, our lineup when when I played was was extraordinarily good. And I think we we definitely could have even won contenders um, if you know a few other things went our in our went our way. Mm-hmm. So you know, coming off that good result, obviously you end up moving on to the league there's the uh looking for team bamboozle where you posted that you're looking for a team you're you thank atlanta academy for the good times and then a couple of days later you get announced for the main team but what was sort of the time like leading up to to that bamboozle that got a lot of the guys uh, or a lot of the people a lot of them you know on, on social media and all that all that type of stuff when when did you get the call what were your emotions like uh, when did you know you were moving up what was what were sort of the days and the weeks leading up to that moment i mean yeah everything everything is pretty consistent like i for the most part didn't really feel like any any different like i like i said my goal was not to get in the overwatch league. my goal was to be a really good player so mm-hmm. like when when i knew that the Eric and Paul wanted me for for Atlanta Academy House or Atlanta, the Overwatch League team. It it didn't really change like my my perspective and stuff like that. Um, and we just kind of like with that bamboozle is just like kind of it was just like a spur of the moment thing. Like we just wanted to have fun with it and mm-hmm. just say some say some funny stuff, get people get people's Jimmy's Jimmy's rustled, I guess. Because personally, like I don't like view myself that highly yet. Like I think. It's weird that people like are like, oh man, he's one of the best performing players on this team. Why would he get dropped or whatever, something like that? It's like it's weird because like I don't, I don't see that that much. I guess for the most part, like I think people tend to overrate um, players in certain situations, and I think flex sports as well. I feel like tend to get overrated. Um, so I don't know. That's just personal preference. So I didn't really. It was definitely weird to see all the <laughs> see all the people upset over it. Um, but cool at the same time, I suppose. And then as soon as I got here, we did um, like as soon as we got here, we did that video, that one with the uh, with Cass saying that I was talking about how I was moved from the team. It's not like spur of the moment, um, and we just wanted to have fun with it. And I think Defrain had some big parts in those situations as well when I got picked up by the team mm-hmm. of what what to do for the social media side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you actually were dropped, then. As we know now, in hindsight, you probably would have been picked up by the NYXL since Pavane thinks you're better than Jonak. So <laughs> and I think yeah. it would have been fine. But in on a serious note, kind of coming in, obviously early on in the season, but still like no boot camp with the team, no long preparation, no real time to build synergy or 
you know, kind of camaraderie, camaraderie with the whole group. Uh, was that a challenge coming in? Did you, how quickly did you sort of settle into the team culture and what, what was sort of the challenges early on? Um, yeah, I think it was a challenge. I mean, like the first stage, um, was really stressful. Um, I think, I think with the, with a different lineup with, with the players that we had, we were like, we had such insane peaks. Um, and then also we also, we also could like generally could like our, our seal floor wasn't that like low it was still pretty high. Um, but the biggest thing I think in stage one was consistency with like a emotion and stuff like that um it it was it wasn't like i don't know it, it was just hard harder to um to compete consistently and like to to bring my our a game to practice i guess consistently to compared to now or whatever with, with with dre um just because it was like random on how how good we do in practice or whatever and then it might in fact it like impact us as a whole um so I don't know. I, I think stage one specifically was really was really tough. Um, it was one of our best stages. I was so so far it was one of our best stages out of two stages mm -hmm. so far. But um, yeah, I don't know. Stage one was a was definitely a new experience, and for me coming into the team, it was um, it was pretty much like any other team I was on. It you know I, you'd think before coming to Overwatch like, that things are so different, um, but realistically they're they're not. It's just like everyone's performing at a higher level. It's the same teams that you play with in like contenders. It's just everyone's more coordinated. You have more coaching and analysis, but like every, everything's still you know still on you to perform and stuff like that. So um, it's like whether I was gonna play on the team as a starter or not, I was like more focusing on like what I could do to get in that position in the first place, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, whereas you know all those things were definitely still be still in decision stage one as well. So there was definitely like a lot at play stage one that like even I'm pretty sure that in outlaws video recently, they said there was like a lot of things like that went wrong for them where they were still deciding like the starting roster mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, in which we were like still deciding that kind of thing in stage one. Um, but you know, we still did well. So it's like, I don't yeah. know how, how bad can you be to still do <laughs> still do poorly when, you know everybody else is dealing with those same issues and they knew yeah. that i guess they they did say that in their video to give them credit they did yeah. they did say you know yeah that we, we still should have performed even if you know there was outside circumstances preventing us from doing so yeah. yeah i mean every team like this is what people don't understand like every team is dealing with like 30 or 40 issues at the same time and is just about being efficient and trying to solve them like being able to recognize the most pressing issues, addressing them, and kind of getting, push, pushing them away and away and away so that you only have minor problems to deal with. And that's where you can actually perform at your best, I think. Uh, but yeah. sort of, because we're talking about uh, intangible skills, you know, being a good teammate, um, you know, l learning how to have strong mental fortitude, all that stuff. Like, I think another skill, sort of, when you go into the league is being able to handle the... I guess handle the fact that you're under a magnifying glass like everything is magnified there's a lot more attention you are dealing with so much pressure from the outside in the social media and i think being able to handle social media is kind of an underrated overwatch league skill that people don't really think about and it, you know obviously you had a, kind of a, as my dog is storming into the room you you had one of those issues where 
you know, you you posted a tweet where you're like, oh, we're we're a terrible team, you know, and in the spur of the moment, dealing with those emotions, was that something as well that you were like, oh shit, I, this is something I need to work on. This is, you know, it's I, I shouldn't be let the emotions get to me. I should be able to filter out uh, social media and Reddit and Twitter because I think you know that's something I learned. Getting so much criticism, you have to be able to tune out at the right time. And I've seen also players who kind of read into their hype too much and then they end up sort of growing an ego. And I've seen guys who read all the criticism and then they it just kills their confidence, right? So I think from yeah. all aspects, it's kind of a skill. You know, what? how has that been for you? And do you think that's an important skill to master? Yeah, I guess I guess around that time, around around when I said that tweet, um, I was definitely filtering, filtering around out social media a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, like not check. I really don't go to like I used to like before. Then go to r slash competitive Overwatch and stuff like that all the time. Um, but I I guess the more the more and more you play, the more and more you read about that stuff. Like it's definitely not worth to check out that much. But in that situation, like I definitely not did not mean to to tweet that. It was definitely worded so bad. I yeah. could have just there are so many other things I could have worded it as like to to phrase how I meant it. Um, but you know. What is it? It doesn't matter what you say or whatever. It matters how people take it. And in yeah. that situation, um, people didn't take it very well. So that was a very bad tweet. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we live and we learn. So in that situation, I, I learned to, you know, not not make those tweets. And especially since, you know, we were still we're still such a new team. Um, we, we still picked up two new players and we were playing with two new players at the time. Um, and even though, I, yeah, we should have won that game, um, we're still like you know getting better as as a as a new squad, so mm-hmm. I don't know. There's like a lot of those like social media interactions that I've had in the past, and especially with being more of a polarizing figure in the league, um, I, I think it's just better to to not go out hunting for things by yourself. Um, and I think yeah. that's also why people like a lot of players don't interact or, with the crowd that much or like do that much like exciting stuff on stage. Is because they don't want to like be in the limelight. Really, they don't want to like, they don't want to have that extra added pressure, um, which is understandable, I guess, um, if you don't know how to deal with it. Like, there's players like, uh, I guess, I guess players like Shaz, for example. Like, Shaz is like a, a sweet and quiet guy, and he's a good player, but he'll never, he'll never yell on stage or like get the crowd pumped up or yell at an enemy or something like that. Like, it's probably, and it, I think it's probably in part to him not wanting to be in the limelight or like to deal with that stuff. Um, and I think a lot of players in Overwatch like also don't want to do any of that stuff. And like, I know, what is it? Unko tweeted recently, like mm-hmm. cringy guy. I've never seen a cringier guy in my life or something yeah. like that. And like, I, I have fun with those tweets. Those are nice to see. It's <laughs> nice that I'm getting some free rent space in his head. Yeah. Um, but like, it, by all means, if you don't want to like yell or be a, a, a Sheldon gamer, then you can do so, but mm-hmm. you don't have to. You don't gotta judge people for having fun with the crowd when they want to or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think that's that's what I do, and I, I think with social media, it's it's just best for a person in my position to to read what I want to read and yeah. to avoid most of the most yeah. of the comments. Yeah, I mean, certainly, like when it comes to trash talking, you've done it probably better than most of play of of the players kind of in season one and even this season and you can kind of see yourself reaping benefits like you mentioned some players who kind of don't do that and 
you know, they don't really get that much attention and they like to stay out of the way. But at the same time, if you look at your situation, you are reaping the benefits. You have trash talked a lot. You have put yourself in the limelight. The crowd cares about you, right? So, and I think that's why you look at, uh, you know, I saw that announcement where they posted the top seven selling jerseys of stage two. Obviously, Defran dropped out, so there's someone who can take that space. And then use as a, again, veteran rookie coming in with ha- like half a stage under your belt or like one and a half stages under your belt. And you take that spot next to Ryu Jehong, next to Jonak, these guys who built, you know, brands and popularity over entirety of a season, right? And you're there to take the space because you do these things. Um, do, do you think about that as well when you're doing these things? Or is it just more to amp yourself up, to put on the show for the crowd? What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, recently I haven't like uh, done it as much, um, but I think yeah, it's just the most part. Uh, I just do it for fun or to amp it up. Like I was thinking, like I hope when we play against Shock or something like that, I hope Super does some sort of trash talk or some sort of thing banter back and forth because that's always fun. And I know I know Super likes that stuff, so hopefully he can, you know, he can he can evolve himself <laughs> into it. But I I never thought about it of like a. Like some sort of long-term thing. I thought, in fact, I thought afterwards, I thought like, oh crap, I might get kicked out of league for something like this. <laughs> so, so it's like it's more of definitely like a spur of the moment thing. I don't, I don't think I'm gonna just kind of do it for better or for worse. If that makes me dumb or not, then by all means, I'll, I might still do it. I might not, but it's just it just depends on how I feel on stage, I guess. What was it like when you saw that announcement that your jerseys and you know, considering how far you've come and I don't want to say in such a short time because you have had such a long journey, but I guess how far you've come in such a short time in Overwatch League, uh, you know, how, how can I considering your whole uh, journey, what did that feel? Did you care at all when, when you saw that? It was like, wow, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing something right. And kind of, was that a moment where you can sit back and reflect a little bit on, on everything you've kind of had to go, go through? Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was sick. I, I, I've never, I never thought it, like it, I'd be on that top uh, jersey sale. Like after the first one, saying that I wasn't on it, I was like, "All right, I never, I'll never get on it or whatever." So it's like I don't really pay too much mind. Uh, but then, yeah, then they announced it for this stage, and I was like, "Oh, that's pretty sick, man. That's pretty cool." Because like I didn't think that you know everything I've done or whatever would actually like amount to more jersey sales or something like that. Like that was definitely surprising. Um, and it's cool. It's awesome. It's nice to see that fans care and, and support that kind of stuff. Um, and that, you know, the people hating on it or whatever don't really matter because in the end of the day, you know, I'm, I got top seven of the Jersey sales and that's kind of, that's pretty sick, I guess. Yeah. Um, something I can brag about a little bit, <laughs> Yeah. but it's, it's nice for sure. Yeah. I, 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 it's surprising and nice. Those mm-hmm. two are the best descriptions I have of it, I think, or descriptors. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing I think is, you know, when, when you do go out and you trash talk and you kind of attach that to your persona i think you have to basically just have to accept one thing you have to accept the fact that if you trash talk and you lose everyone's going to be coming for your head and if you don't let that affect you because i think you do have kind of an obligation to your team to not let any you know things like that affect you because you you don't want some someone else's opinion who's outside the team who's not one of your peers to affect you in game and as long as that's the case as long as the repercussions so to speak don't affect you i think you know you kind of 
you only have benefits to reap in, in that regard. Even if you look, I don't know if you follow League at all, uh, but obviously Doublelift, one of the most famous yeah. players in League, like when he was coming up, he wasn't that outgoing, but he, you know, he's, he had a lot of confidence in his gameplay. He famously said that, you know, everyone else is trash but me. It became, you know, people started caring about him, whether it was, you know, people who wanted to see him lose or people who wanted to see him win, people cared. And that grew his brand. It helped him come out of his shell. You know, all, all those interactions, I think, helped him grow as a brand, as a person, as a player. And I think in the long term, it just led to something good. And it's because he was having fun with it, I think. He didn't let anyone affect him. He didn't let it affect his confidence. So I think it's it's definitely something that you can kind of look at as a positive light on top of kind of hyping up the crowd. But do you think, uh, do you draw kind of anybody? You, you mean you said you were thought, oh, I'm, I never planned doing this. I probably should scale back a little bit. But since the fans are kind of enjoying it, do you intend to sort of keep doing it since you see that you're kind of reaping the benefits? Uh, you know, Are there any boundaries that you set that you obviously wouldn't cross? Um, you know, what, what, what do you think in, in regards to that? Um, yeah, I mean, I respect double lift a lot and I can get back to that in a sec, but like, I, I don't know. I'll never, I never let like trash talk or anything like that, like get in the way of how like my team performs or something like that, or like how we do as a team in, in our matches. Like I'll never let that like impact our game, I guess. Like, unless I feel like a game is on lock or unless I feel something like some sort of exuberating confidence, like I'll keep focusing on my team first before trash talking or something like that. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I tend to, I tend to like not, I, I let it like flow out naturally, but for the most part that, that when it does, when it does come out, it's usually when, when um, I feel it's most right or whatever, mm -hmm. where it won't impact, you know, my team and how we're performing or something like that in the match. Um, and I think that's like, I guess one of the boundaries I have set, but it still it still comes out naturally. Like that's probably the same for Double Lift is when he trash talked or whatever, mm -hmm. or when he was talking in interviews, he wasn't thinking about that during the game. Like he doesn't think about that. Like may he may think about it before the game or whatever, but it's important to just like speak that confidence when you feel is right, not or speak and think about that confidence when you feel is right, not during situations that like require your hundred percent attention. So. It doesn't. I just don't let it take all of my attention away. Like even if it does give me more jersey sales or more popularity or whatever, I, I don't really care about that stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I just have fun with it, and mm -hmm. that's like the biggest thing. So, kind of wrapping up stage one. You know, you guys went into the playoffs. You went against Philadelphia Fusion. You ended up losing that game. What What did you feel like? Kind of obviously said you were your team was a little up and down emotionally. You were kind of inconsistent. Uh, how, what what did you feel heading into the playoffs with Fusion being your first matchup? Do you guys feel like you guys could go far? What was the ceiling? What was sort of the, the feeling heading into that match? Um, Yeah, I felt like we could win. Um, I think the biggest thing is that I kind of wish that stage uh, playoffs kind of matter for more. I think, yeah, yeah, money is like a big factor. Um, but there's like no other, like, there's not there's not that many like things to play for. For the in the stage playoffs, like you're still playing for the end game, you're still playing for end of season playoffs. Uh, um, and then once you make stage, it counts towards your goal. So I don't know. I I think that in that match, I don't know if we necessarily played to 100%. Um, mainly because it didn't matter that much. Um, 
and obviously Dufresne was retiring after that stage. So I think that like everything, I don't know. It it, it, should, it, it didn't matter as much, I guess, to make that to do well in that stage mm-hmm. playoffs. Like we could probably, we definitely could have beaten Philly, mm-hmm. um, but like we weren't, we weren't hundred percent focused our like our, ourselves when we wanted to play our best, I guess, mm-hmm. um, in that situation. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. I wish we could have done better in that stage playoffs, but in the end of the day, it, it didn't even matter. So, so there's not much. Yeah. Yeah. So, like you, you mentioned, obviously Defran his retirement and all that stuff. Um, I'm a little curious because you know, from the outside looking in, it does seem like Defran is you know this enigmatic persona. It must be interesting to play with him. So, what was it like playing uh, with Defran? Because obviously, he also put Atlanta under the microscope in the sense, you know, you guys were at the top of those betrayed donations on Twitch. You immediately became the most popular team off of his back. Uh, and, you know, everyone was getting that attention. So I imagine there were kind of no no dull times. You know, do you have any fun stories uh, of, of playing with the front? Uh, no, I mean, so the front is a pretty self-deprecating, pretty humble guy. I mean... Even when he was, we were top bits or whatever, or something like that. He would never take credit for it. Like he wanted us to all share in, you know, in in the the glory that is our team. Um, but like, yeah, he's pretty self-deprecating. Like every player who we go against, like he'd be like, "Oh, Nene is so much better than me, man. Oh, this guy is so much better than me." He'd just be like, oh, "Carpe is like this insane player. I'm just garbage compared to him or whatever." Like it'd just be constant, just like depression out of his mouth man like he just he, he but he plays well so i mean yeah. he he i guess someone like me like i like to have confidence I like to think i'm better than players i like to think i'm, I'm better than every player in my role or whatever he, he'll think the opposite he likes to think he's the worst player in his role so i mean i guess whatever whatever you want to do to to compete you could do it um and i don't know i mean it's nice to have the friend except when he scared the shit out of me and just like come behind my chair and <laughs> Like try to do something stupid. Yeah, I don't know. He's a silly guy. It was mm-hmm. nice to be around him. Yeah. No, I mean everyone kind of has a different mentality when it comes to that stuff. I suppose. You know, I, I actually tweeted about it that like that is sort of the way he views everything, and he hopes that he never loses it. I think I, I read a tweet like that where like that's how he holds himself accountable. That's like he's super critical of himself at every single moment. He he tries to achieve perfection and that's why he's so good, you know, and you obviously look at it differently. So I think it's it's interesting that everyone is, has kind of different mindsets. But in terms of, you know, him retiring and departing the team, when did you find out about that? Was it before? Was it after the playoffs? Uh, you know, how did you feel when when that was going down? Uh, how did you, you know, yeah, like how did you find out? Was there a kind of a, a team meeting? How did you guys handle all of that? What what was sort of going through your mind at that time? Um, I mean, I guess I knew it was coming. I mean, it, it was just kind of like inevitable at, at a certain point um, because I think even during during stage one, he wanted to. I think he said this. He he said he wanted to like leave even during stage one so i mean it was kind of it was kind of inevitable i thought he'd maybe stick around longer um but you never know what these types of things he, he's his own person he wants he has his ideas and his um his future and, and all that stuff that he wants to that he worries about or that he likes to do or how much stress he's willing to be put under um but yeah i don't know i i think uh oh man i mean i, I just knew it was coming i guess already mm-hmm. um there, there's, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, with him departing, you guys obviously traded for Baby Bay, a former teammate of yours. And, you know, I assume it was kind of an adjustment period in and out of the server, both in terms of, I guess, personality and, you know, playing style. Obviously, Baby Bay has experience playing Zarya. I think uh, in what was it, like Quatang, was it a triple tank meta back in the day? But I remember him playing Zarya. But obviously, he didn't have a lot of scrim time on Shock. But at the same time, he's bringing that Shock pedigree. He's naturally learned a lot from them. Uh, what do you think, sort of, about this signing? Um, as you know, you know, bringing in one of your former teammates. Were you glad to have him on board? Uh, what was what was sort of the difference in style as well between him and Defran? Uh, you know, kind of going heading into scrims. Yeah, I was gonna mention that. I guess um, mm -hmm. that yeah, like Dre has or had like big shoes to fill. Fill like Defran on Zarya was really good. Um, like Defran was one of our like if. He was like our star player pretty much on the team. In game in game and out of game, like he was really good. Um so like he generally had to to perform well coming into the into this into the stage. But like we like didn't have that much time to practice and he didn't have much time to practice already that much too, because yeah, he was benched on shock for an entire year pretty much. Um so he kinda had to like relearn the game slowly and but credit all credit due to, to Baby Bay. I mean he's been He's been grinding his ass off. He's been playing ranked like crazy. Um, scrims, he's pushed you back and stuff like that. It's like stuff we did like a month before, or the team did a month before Overwatch even started with Defran. Like Defran also was the same as Baby Bay at the beginning, where he like misuses bubbles constantly. He would like always like be caught out of position or something like that. Um, but it takes a lot of coaching and a lot of um, just a lot of time to get better at the at the current meta because it's like it's definitely hard to get into it like you can't just take a guy from rank ladder and throw him into an overwatch league game he won't perform that well like look at i'm 37 mm -hmm. like he's he's decent um but like he's not overwatch league caliber yet right like he still has a lot of grinding to do um and he he's probably he might be there already like he might be there now um but i think as a whole it takes a lot more than just rank ladder experience to you know, to to do well, you kind of just need to to keep practicing, and um, you just need a lot of coaching, I guess. And you can't expect to be the best in the media immediately. Um, and I might have expected too much in the beginning because now we're we're doing well, um, and now Dre has experience, and now we have experience as six. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that's like the biggest factor is just constantly improving as as six and and getting better individually. Yeah, at I, I, I think Dre's filled those shoes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it did look a little shaky in the beginning, but you guys obviously finished the stage on a pretty positive note. And like like you mentioned, like having a solid six over an extended period of time, period of time, having building that sort of familiarity is just so crucial in a meta like goats. You know, learning the communication hierarchy, who calls what, who calls the tempo shifts, who calls the bubbles, how are you guys taking space together? All that stuff you can only um get that through playing with the same lineup over a long period of time and like you said stage one you had a lot of players in and out uh, obviously as you mentioned houston um had a lot of players in and out because they couldn't figure out what the best lineup would be and then you guys head into stage two and kind of the same thing happens where you have to not only incorporate a new player into the starting lineup but like you said fill the shoes of one of your carry players right and it's uh, naturally, I think um, a big adjustment. But something I 
when I watched, I think, your first game against NYXL, and, you know, they show these little tidbits of in-game comps, like they show what you guys are talking about during certain fights or whatever. Uh, and when I listened to that, to your comps, it did feel, I, I tweeted this, I felt like having Baby Bear in your team kind of boosts mor- morale a little bit. That's kind of how I felt from just that little tidbit. Obviously, that's very limited information and you maybe can't really draw those conclusions, but that's kind of how I felt just listening to that. Do you Do you feel like him being on stage when he sort of, started getting confidence that he also helped in other departments in, tor- in terms of boosting morale, in terms of uh, keeping guys, um, you know, kind of excited and on, on their toes in d- during games. And if so, like how, how does he generally do it? Um, yeah. I mean, Dre is pretty, a pretty confident guy and he's pretty, he's also a realist. So I think he'll like, he'll never overrate himself in situa- certain situations and stuff like that. And I think when like there's, like when we beat NYXL and stuff like that, like he'll be, he's genuinely surprised, right? Cause like we, we like he had, he thinks Nene is probably better than him at, at the, at the time. He's mm-hmm. pretty, he's kind of similar to the friend in that way, but you know, can be flip floppy on that, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Dre definitely brings his, his confidence and, um, you know, leadership to our team. Um, and then, you know, it's really good to have that consistency because now this stage with Dre, I think we, we definitely play a lot more consistent. We're a lot more um, focused. We have that winner's mentality. Um, and I think he definitely brings all of that um, into the team now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Speaking of another teammate of yours, Erster, because that's a player who I think has kind of been overshadowed uh, because, you know, obviously Defran was on your team. He got a lot of attention. Then Baby Baby comes in. He's a popular player. You obviously steal a lot of uh, uh, headlines. And I think Erster kind of, and again, like Daco uh, grabbing headlines as well. So I think Erster kind of goes under the radar a little bit still. And, you know, from what I saw from him pre-Overwatch League and even how he's adjusted to the brick role, obviously we haven't seen that much flexibility uh, in, in terms of Sierra Pool, because of how stagnant the meta is, we did see him a little bit on the Junkrat uh, in your Anubis strats on, on defense. Uh, but I think Erster is still kind of criminally underrated. I think he's one of the best, if not the best, flex DPS in in the league. And I think people just haven't been quite exposed to that. Do you, you know, how, what was it like kind of teaming up with Erster? And have you sort of gotten a similar impression? Do you feel like uh, people are you know, not kind of giving him the props that he deserves? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, coming into... When I when I saw the Atlanta uh, team announced, because this was when I wasn't on the team, I was, like, I was, like, pretty happy with Daco and Pokepo getting signed, because I thought, like, I was a big fan of them from Element Mystic. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and I, I was a big fan of Masa, too, because of, of Giganti. Um, so I thought, like, the team as a whole was, like, really good. Um, and then I saw Erster was signed. I was like, who's this? I was like, who Chinese contenders. I was like, it's kind of a joke, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, they're not that good. And then like, and then I see Erster and scrims and stuff like that. I th- and I, I think, I think without a doubt, without a shadow on my mind, w- without a shadow of doubt on my mind, Erster's the best flex DPS in the game. I mean, like he's really good. It's just that he's on brig. <laughs> okay. So I don't know. I, I, I think even even on Brig, he, he's really mechanically good. And, yeah. like, there's, like, definitely you underrate the mechanics of Brig um, because they may not be as easy to spot, I guess. But there's definitely a lot of poor Brigs in the, in the league even that just, like, are, are starting. Um, 
And I guess the biggest thing you could look at is like first death or something like that. See how many Briggs put themselves out of position. Um, but for the most part, I doubt you'll like you'll never see Urster out of position. Like if you do, it's maybe like one percent of the time. So I don't know. He's one of the smartest and one of the smartest players in the game, and definitely the best flex DPS in the game. It's just he hasn't had a a meta to fully prove it. And I, and I mean, I think he just wants to have fun playing Genji and stuff like that. He doesn't care about being the limelight. He just wants to. <laughs> he just wants to play DPS, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think a lot of people underrated the guys from, like, a future Zenith a little bit because they beat up on Chinese teams, which people didn't really hold in that high regard. But then you see the guys that came out of there. You see Michelle, you see Marvel being starters on Seoul. You see yeah, DM. IDK, right? Yeah, IDK. ID? IDK, yeah, he's just starting on uh, Hangzhou. Then you see a guy like DM being sort of the star of Shanghai. And then Urster is kind of a little forgotten a little bit, but I think some the league, you know, will will definitely see how incredible he is. And that's actually when you think about that lineup, what an insane lineup that team was. And it's it's not surprising yeah. that they actually dominated Chinese contenders. Yeah, I mean IDK is a is a god. I mean he's like the star player of Spark, yeah. I think. I think Gushui was coming into the league as a star player, but IDK is like insane on Lucio. He's like one of the one of the better Lucios in the league, obviously below Masa, but mm -hmm. obviously one of the better Lucios in the league. Um, and then if that even says how good IDK is, then like, or, and I think Erster was like the best player on that team probably mm -hmm. even. Mm -hmm. So yeah. with all these other like really good players that came out of there with DM, uh, Michelle, Marvel, and IDK, um, and Erster's still the best. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously it's not been proven yet, yeah. uh, but... I, Erster is really good. I mm -hmm. think people saw that even in Chinese contenders when he was playing like Genji yeah. and stuff like that. And that's why people rated him so highly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everyone rated him highly and then everyone kind of forgot about him a little bit. And like you say, if he was the best lineup on a roster that where the main tank beats out Fisher for a starting spot, where the off tank beats out Zumba for a starting spot, I think, you know, that kind of says a lot about a uh, player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of moving on to stage two because I think it was a, it was a very bizarre stage to watch from you guys. You obviously start out super slow, going O three. You're dealing with a lot of issues, like you said again, replacing your star player, rebuilding that synergy, the stuff that is so difficult to deal mid season. You know, Daco is in and out of the lineup. You ha you end up beating NYXL after losing to a bunch of these um, teams that you should be beating. From the outside looking in, it just looks like a very, very chaotic stage. You know, insane highs, insane lows. Uh, what was kind of stage two like um, from kind of an all-encompassing angle? I mean, I guess, like, upon reflection, it's probably, like, looked more realistic, besides the charge game, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, than you'd think, because like at the beginning, we played what we played Boston first, I think, um, and then we lost two three. It was like a close map five that we definitely could have won, um, and yeah, I don't know that that game we definitely should have won. But if like we want, then there's two best, there's two five map games that happened. There was one against Valiant and then one against Austin, and I think Valiant was looking better. Um, I definitely don't think we we probably still should have beat them for sure um but like still we're we had two new players um and we're working on like that lineup and, and trying to do well with it so i think like overall it's not like 
the end of the world because of because we beat NYXL twice. Like we thought coming into the stage that like NYXL might be the games that we lose or whatever, you know. Um, but like we just probably looked too far ahead or something like that. We didn't we didn't focus on what was ahead of ahead of us. We definitely should have beaten both Boston and Valiant. If we did, we would have been in stage playoffs. And if we if we but if you look at the what ifs at the same time, I guess um, you know we we lost like every best out of or. We lost every map five until NYXL. So that was like five best out of fives mm -hmm. that we lost. So if we won each of those best out of, or we, we won each of those map fives, we would be like the third highest scoring team in the league or something like that right now. So I don't know. I, I think overall, like seven and seven is pretty solid for where we are right now. Um, and yeah, we started off 0 3. We had, didn't have. The best stage but I, I think that's just due to us like um gelling together at the beginning mm -hmm. of the stage and and you know the two new players i think is the the yeah. biggest impact but i guess we'll see how how well we've gelled and how well we are now or how good we are now coming to the stage because this is one of our hardest i think this is the hardest stage yet for us if i'm not mistaken because we play shock and we play vancouver mm -hmm. um for the first two games yeah yeah that's a rough one um so sort of but you guess you know like i say you ended up kind of peaking towards the end of the stage the synergy seemed to be coming along because you guys did beat nyxl and kind of everyone after you beat them in the first game everyone was sort of saying well you know nyxl didn't prepare clearly they sandbag they have uh they're obviously just gonna four zero the rematch and no one really gave you credit i guess even though if you watch the games like you guys were playing very fundamentally sound goats you were pushing your advantages really well anytime you sort of won a fight you were spawn camping you were taking the right positions you were putting a ton of pressure on them and you just kind of didn't allow them to play their style you know and uh, i guess it's it can also stem a little bit from the fact you probably feel felt like you had nothing to lose and you put that pressure on them and they kind of uh you know fizzle out a little bit did you feel like you didn't get enough respect after that game and did you feel like you figured something out about new york you heading into uh sort of game two i suppose and you know what, what how did you guys manage to get it done twice um i guess this stems from like what we were talking about earlier with like not caring about what other people will say like mm -hmm. for the most part i like we we can like talk about it like where it was like, oh yeah, we're, you know, the last game. People think the last game was a fluke or something like that. Um, and we can use that as like added pressure or something like that. But for the most part, like we don't really care. Like it doesn't matter what other people say about our team. For the most part, it matters what we do in practice and what we do as a team to prove that it mattered. Um, and you know, I think I think this this like I said, this upcoming stage will be a big uh, a big test for us, I suppose. Um, with the first two games being Shock and Vancouver, it might be more obvious if we if we if we beat those teams, um, that how we, how good we are. Um, so, but I, I think for the most part we've always been kind of criminally underrated because when we had Defran, a lot of the outside voices for the most part in the league were like saying that we were like that our record was better than how we actually were and stuff like that. Um, so I think for the most part, it's just kind of always been that way since the beginning of the season even. So for the most part, like, we just haven't focused on that kind of stuff. Like, we knew how we know how good we are. Um, and even if they're, like, our casters or analysts or something like that saying how, you know, 
we're not as good as our record says or now how we're better than what our record says and stuff like that. None of that really matters. I mean, the, the narrative changes all the time. And the biggest thing to focus on is just yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like you say, you, do, you guys do have a pretty tough schedule. I pulled it up here. You have, you, like you said, you start with Shock Titans on a back-to-back, which is one of the most dreadful things imaginable. And then next week, you have another doubleheader with Shanghai and Seoul. Then you have Philly. And you finish things off with Toronto and Mayhem. So you kind of finish the stage off a little easier, but the start is very tough. Um, So sort of not not only looking at stage three, um, but also considering you know, the rest of the season, what are sort of your expectations? Because right now you guys are sitting two spots away from um, the uh, sixth number six spot, which is sort of what everyone is shooting for because that's kind of what guarantees you the playoffs that, you know, helps you avoid the gauntlet. Do you feel like you guys have a shot to make it here considering, make it there considering your remaining schedule or are you just aiming for the gauntlet? What What is sort of the expectations heading into the second half? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we could definitely make the top six at least. Um, but, oh, real quick, am I, am I lagging by the way? Discord's been... Yeah, it's been a little laggy. There's been complaints in the chat as well. It's, um, usually it's fine, but there's sometimes something cuts out, but it's not too bad. Like, I can hear you, but, you know, in the recording it might be a little iffy, but... Okay, okay. I was just just checking because I definitely see the it it said it dropped down to like two ms or something. I'm not sure. um, I'm not sure if it's me or if it's the Cox internet you guys have over there. If it is, (laughs) it's not a great it's not a great advertisement for Cox. (laughs) (laughs) No, it definitely it definitely probably is Discord or something like that. Yeah, probably. Maybe, but um, let's see. But yeah, I think I think we we definitely can make a run for that top six. I mean, like I said, the the first this this stage is a big um. A big, a big test for us. So, uh, we'll see how it goes. I guess coming up, um, th- there's nothing really. I feel like that I could say until until we've mm-hmm. we've played the first two games, um, because I think those two will be a, a big. Uh, if if we beat those, if we win against Shock and we win against Vancouver, um, you know, then it'll be more obvious yeah. uh, to other people. But I think for the most part, I think we could definitely make top six. I think we're still making a run for that for sure. Mm-hmm. So something I suppose you must be looking forward to and the rest of your teammates must be looking forward to is the uh, end of stage three, which is the Atlanta homestand weekend. And I think considering what we saw over in Dallas and how incredible that event was, how excited, you know, are, are you excited to get on stage? What are, are you nervous? What are the feelings to kind of heading home and playing in front of your crowd and having sort of, I guess an easier schedule on paper there so that you can kind of put uh, put together a couple of wins. You saw how emotional and how, how incredible it was for uh, Dallas, certainly. So what what are your feelings heading into uh, into that event? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I know Atlanta as a whole is really supportive. Um, there's a lot of people that go to the, uh, the, the Battle and Brew bar and stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of people that do that kind of stuff that that go out constantly and are really big, um, at, really big rain fans. And especially Atlanta as a whole is a really like passionate city. So for the most part, I mean, it's going to be insane. I'm pretty sure it might be even more insane than the Dallas homestand. And I know Texas is, is really insane, but Atlanta brings its own like fire and, and enthusiasm to games. And it's really going to be exciting to see that full 
packed out uh, theater when we're there. What was the venue? How how big was the venue? I actually don't think I looked that up. Um, I think uh, I think it fits two thousand. I don't remember. Let me see. Atlanta. Actually, I don't remember. It yeah. suits quite. A, it 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 fits quite a bit of people in it. Yeah. Um, there's like multiple layers and stuff like that. If you've ever if you've ever been to like a massive, like, um, play theater kind of setup, mm-hmm. it's like it's like that, I guess. Okay. Like it, a big stand up sort of show or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those. It's like that same place. So I'm curious how how they'll set it up, but. Um, it's it's big. I, I don't know how many people it fits or yeah. seats. Yeah, chat to saying Cobb Energy Center and that it's a concert yeah. hall. So, yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, it's going to be immense. I'm really looking forward to seeing another one of those. 700, it says. Hmm. How much? 2,700. Okay, yeah, that's not so, bad. Yeah, it should get pretty loud in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it'll be fun. Yeah. I'm excited. So I think... You know, we we will wrap up with uh, some general news around the league as well. Uh, but something I actually forgot to um, ask a little earlier in the show, and something we alluded to, uh, was you know, in in your way coming up, you know, you being kind of um, you know evicted from home by by your parents. I'm curious about what what is your sort of relationship with your parents now? Have they come around? How supportive are they? Because I think it's super important for you know all. Overwatch League players, everyone who's involved in the league, to actually have kind of a support group back home. You know, how how has that relationship developed uh, over time? Because obviously, there's been a lot of trials and tribulations on the way. Um, yeah, it's good. I mean, it took them. It took so when I got kicked out. Let's see, when I got kicked out, like they were pretty upset and and pretty disappointed, um, because obviously I wasted their money with college and stuff like that, um. And that was, and you know, I was pretty, I was just like trying to get out of the house, I guess, at that point, um, because of, <laughs> because of how bad that was, um, for me as well. So I think after that, like, it was definitely, um, a process that took just more time for them to, to understand what I was doing and stuff like that and understand that it could, I could be successful at some point, um, but they were never they, they obviously you're not going to believe your kid until he's actually making money and stuff like that so i don't know like for the most part i under i understood their while they were upset at me and stuff like that um but over the course of six months by the time they they picked me up they were like pretty much completely understanding um and now they're really supportive they've come to my games and stuff mm-hmm. like that i think my dad even bought a jersey even though i could like i'm pretty sure i could get them free jerseys and stuff like that but they still bought a jersey um, and then I think my, I think they're trying to get one for my grandpa or something like that too, that I get signed. So they're really, they're really supportive and it's, it's nice to see. Um, and I, and I call the, I call my mom like nearly every other day and stuff like that. So yeah, that's my yeah. relationship's pretty good with my parents now. Yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear that, that, you know, every, everyone's come around and that they've gone from being upset with you to kind of boosting you in the Jersey, Jersey sales race. Yeah. Sorry. It's, <laughs> it's kind of turning up to you, but it's like kind of. Weird now because like for sorry now you're cutting out a little bit. We can repeat uh, that. It's wait, just Discord. Is it, is it lagging still? No, it's okay. Now. Right, we're stable. Okay. Nice. Uh, basically, it's like it's like a little weird now because like for the most part, like when I go out to like family outings and stuff like that, like when I talk there, like I it's kind of I don't know what to do, but like for the most part, the entire conversation is about what I do 
and like it's just like it's all about me and it's like mm-hmm. kind of like weird it's like kind of like a narcissistic way of like looking at it. it's like i don't really want to make the entire conversation about me yeah but it's like i guess i guess i suppose when you compare an esports job and playing video games for a living to i don't know working at a a like a a dm what are the dmv what is it, dmv like one of those places yeah. where they give out licenses and stuff like yeah. that i don't know like when you compare the two i guess like the other job can seem dull and boring or something like that so people want to have that conversation i guess yeah. i don't know i it's definitely it's definitely weird that the conversation has like moved to that yeah yeah i mean no I, I can definitely relate to that because that's usually because there's so much stress there's always things going on especially for myself when we were sort of in an environment where we're constantly losing there's always things to vent about so you know i i definitely relate to the feeling where conversations can become very one-sided where you're like just kind of venting about your problems and your issues at your job when and they yeah. just kind of take it yeah yeah um so last couple of news, I guess. I mean, there's it's been pretty dry in terms of news um, these last couple of weeks. The big thing was obviously Nate Nancer jumping on the hype train of Fortnite, cashing in the Epic Games checks. You know, what do you? What were your feelings uh, in regards to the commissioner stepping down and moving on? Um. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's it's interesting. I I, I mean. I, I obviously wanted to have some fun with some tweets, make some memes. Um, the what did I tweeted? Uh, he's leaving us for Fortnite or something like that. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's kind of it, it's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm glad he can do something, you know, more more on his he can he can further his career or whatever whatever he he wants to do. I mean, that's that's on him. I guess it's not really something that I I I have to focus on. Um, but Oh, we're lagging again. It's exciting. Um, we will have a nuke. He does. I mean, they could be deaf back. You, you cut out a lot there. Okay, good. Like I said sentence. something nice. I said something really bad, so I, okay. I just won't repeat it. Nice. Um, no, I'm just joking. I, I, I don't <laughs> know. We have we have a new commissioner. It's exciting. Um, you know, we could get our Pepe's back or something like that. So <laughs> that would be incredible. You never know. <laughs> you, never, <laughs> you never know. But um, I don't know. I don't think it matters as much as people think. I think that the success of Overwatch League will happen on its own, you know, cord, not on the commissioner. And I think he's done a lot for us. I think the answer has done a lot for Overwatch. Um, but, you know, it's, he's not the end-all, be-all. You know, we can we can keep we keep growing. We still have Daddy Jeff. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, for, first of all, I'm going to make sure I beep out when you say the illegal word, when you say Pepe, just so you don't get into trouble. Uh, okay, okay. But, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think I'm, I'm kind of in the similar boat. I think Nate brought a lot as kind of a face outwards. I think he naturally had a lot to do with selling the teams to expansion, you know, selling expansion teams to uh, a bunch of owners, and he brought a lot to the table in that regard. But to steal kind of a point that I heard overheard on the Tactical Crash podcast was they mentioned, well, next year it's confirmed there is no expansion. So the challenge is just how are we going to get the geolocation thing to work rather than how do we sell more sponsorships? How do we, you know, with, with all the financial side, but so, yeah, I think, I think we'll be, we'll be fine. And it's, it's, I guess, nice to see someone furthering his career. Like you, like you said, and it'll be interesting yeah. to see who's, uh, who's going to be kind of the face outwards. Cause Nate was very, 
uh, sort of charismatic. He kind of was a good face and a good ambassador for for the sport. So um, that was that was. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens. I guess. Uh, yeah, we got to make we got to make Jake the commissioner. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, for sure. That would uh <laughs> He's already the face of the league. We yeah. might as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen that much of Jake unfortunately since Houston hasn't been doing that well. Um that bad, man. Yeah, but yeah, I do I do miss some some regular Jake in my life. He does he, he is very pleasant to listen to. He certainly knows his way around words. But yeah, yeah. I guess there wasn't really that much news in terms of Overwatch League this week. I guess something that came out last week, which I'm a little curious about what players around the league think about, was Toronto's moves in terms of moving away from being full Korean, picking up two Western players. So I guess what what do you think about Gods and Sharik, and what do you think about that move that Toronto made? Hello? Oh, yeah, we're good now. Sorry. Did you get everything? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got it. It was just like cut out. So you're asking me what I think about like Sharik and stuff like that. And the, yeah, and, and the Toronto. move. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Toronto and him were decent before when, with their Korea, with their full Korean lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if the fact they're going mixed is. I mean, it's a good thing for sure. I think that there's benefits to doing so. I mean, you can open yourself to a bigger talent pool. You don't have to pull from just Korea. Um, so I think that the, that team, like, as a whole, still, like, I, I don't know. I, I think that the picks that pickups that they made were okay, but I don't know if it's necessarily something that's going to push them to be, like, a top team, you know? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think they'll still be, like, okay and decent, but... I think if we played them again, we would 100% beat them. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know um, if they if the picks really, like, meant that much. Like, I think that specifically the, the, the roles they replaced, like Sharik instead of Yakpung, right? Was mm-hmm. Yakpung? Mm-hmm. I think Yakpung was one of the worst main tanks in the league. So I think that, like, that's already, I guess, like a step up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then their off-tank, Envy, like, he's decent. Like, I think Gods is solid. But I think probably him and Envy are around the same level, right? Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I don't necessarily think that they're... I think their pickups will help them. Um, but I don't know if it'll push them to the top. Yeah. I mean, going into, I guess, the midseason break, I felt like they were one of the teams that should be making moves. Because even though I think they're also sitting at 7-7, seven and seven, which is the same record as you guys, I don't really see them in the same light as you guys because they went, like, 2-5 and five in... Um, I think they went two and five in stage two, and even in stage one, on their path to the playoffs, when they went five two, they I think beat one other playoff team on their way to, um, to the uh, to the stage playoffs, and I think I think it was actually you guys, and other than that, they didn't they only kind of beat up on the weaker teams. So I felt like even though they were both both you guys were at seven seven, you guys certainly had a stronger roster on paper. So I'm kind of happy that they're making moves again. Like I don't know if they're if it's going to you know salvage their season if they can have that big of a if it's going to give them a boost in terms of get, having a run for that sixth seed we'll i guess we'll just have to wait and see but yeah it's uh, it's it's good that they're making moves cuz i think they were one of the teams that had to make moves yeah what's their what's their strength of schedule for this stage do they have uh that's a good same? question so they, it looks like they play paris spitfire and Guangzhou charge for the first three games. Mm, so I don't, yeah. 
the strength of the schedule is like decent. I don't know if it's necessarily the hardest yeah. in the league. And then they play us, right? They play us at our home stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of an even schedule. I think they have yeah. bottom tier teams and they have uh, better teams. I think the fact I think they're going to ease into the stage um, pretty easily because they ha- only have uh, one game weeks for three weeks in a row, and that's obviously a tough opponent in London. But they also have Paris and Guangzhou, both of whom were sort of below them in the standings. So. I think it's it's good that their schedule is actually a little softer in the beginning, and then they obviously have Gladiators in Houston, and then you guys and and YXL. So again, they're going to close with a bit of a tougher schedule, but yeah, I think it, it's probably yeah. going to be helpful that maybe they can capture a little bit of positive momentum and then uh, give us a yeah, they, good showing at the Atlanta homestand. Yeah, they probably have to beat London and stuff like that. Um, yeah, to actually make the playoffs. I was speaking. I was thinking about London specifically. I know that this is a little off topic, but London specifically, if like it definitely, if if the league ever went force two 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 or something like that, I think London would probably be the best team, mm-hmm. just because specifically London is like they have some of the best DPS in the game. Like they have Profit, they have Bird Ring. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who else. Who's do they have any deep DPS players on their bench besides them? Oh, they have Guard. Yeah. Guard's really good at Sombra. Mm-hmm. Like overall, they're the their three are like super good. So I think if and they were obviously just like a really good team at dive in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be interesting. Like people think that it might like sh- like shake things up when two two comes back. But like I'm pretty sure even this stage they went. Did they go undefeated this stage, or did they go? They went six. No, they went six one. They lost one game which they shouldn't have lost. I'm trying to remember what game it was, but it was know. but but it was definitely a game they should have won. Yeah, they destroyed pretty much everyone, and then they lost a game they weren't supposed to lose, which is kind of London, you know, <laughs> regular yeah, season and London. Then they, yeah, and then they play. Well, then they play the playoffs, and then I, yeah, they lost to Spark. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was a which bit is a, odd. Yeah. What do you so, What do you think I mean, about Spark and how they've Ch- Chengdu? They lost to Chengdu. The chat says. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you th- okay. actually think about the Spark? Because I think they've looked better and better as the season has gone on ever since they kind of started incorporating Gushue in the lineup and he's gotten adjusted. Um, Yeah, I think I think the Spark's really good. I think now that they have Gushue in the lineup full-time, um, that's solid. I mean, it's good to have a starting roster and to stick with it. I, I think they're still mixing it up. I think they're still taking out... Um, is it, his name is Alora? Or what was his name? Adora. They're, Adora. They're picking yeah. out... Him and their their other great player, I think, Crystal. Yeah. yeah, they're constantly in rotation with them still, I think. Yeah. So they're still trying to find their six, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we were saying earlier, it's important to have like a six that you play goats with, I guess, constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like important to not waver too much from that. So I think that they're still trying to find their footing, I suppose. Um, in that they made it to the semifinals, so I guess that's pretty solid. I don't know if New York would have been better or. Not New York. I don't know if London would have done better than them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, I think Sparks really. Good. I think IDK is one of the best losers in the game, if not if not the best. I think like there's some people that compete with him, um, but right now IDK like tries to do tries to do and mostly does like a lot of hero plays um, for his teams that like keeps it keeps his teams in in the games and like very crucial moments. Like situations where you'd think other Lucios wouldn't do something, he'd probably do it because it's like a very important part of the game. And it's like, oh, the Lucio will never come and boot me off the map here when, you know, it's overtime, 99.99 or something like that. And then he goes and does it. Like, I don't know, the guy the guy takes big risks and for the most part, like, he, he pulls them off. So mm-hmm. 
I think he's like a big contributing factor. Him and Gushway are like some of the some of the top players in the league for sure. Yeah, for sure. Because it's something that I saw, especially when Gushway came in. I think you saw it in their goats play that they just didn't have the synergy. They were bubbling, and while well, they were still holding shield, they weren't swinging. They weren't taking space together, and their Ryan goes just looked really, really sloppy at the beginning of the stage while he was sort of getting incorporated. And I thought that when they were actually in Winston Goats, I thought they would look they looked much, much stronger. You know, I even feel like when they were sort of playing Winston uh Winston Goats mirrors against Vancouver, I thought they actually looked like the better Winston Goats team at that time. But then anytime they went on Ryan, they just looked kind of lost. And in that match against London, they did look like they've cleaned all of that up. So, you know, it does feel like uh a team that's on the up and up and, you know, obviously, like you said, has a lot of individual talent and in a lot of positions with IDK, with Gushua and, uh, you know, across the board, there are, there are some skilled players there. Uh, it's uh, because it, I thought it was very interesting what you said as well, you know, with, with the potential of the league, you know, at some point going to, to uh, with a two to two lock and London potentially being one of the best teams. I completely agree with that because I think, you know, I've thought for, a very long time that Profit is the best player in the Overwatch League in terms of his flexibility and just the impact he has on the server, being able to survive any meta and being impactful or possibly the best player on his team in every single meta. I think that's just incredible for a player. Yeah. But well, what do you? Th- mm-hmm. I, I have a question for you, Mineral. What do you, what do you think about? Um, this is a little. I guess it's a little off topic. What do you think about? Because we're talking about news. What do you think mm-hmm. about the 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 trades for for Fate with mm-hmm. that Valiant made? Mm-hmm. What do yeah. you what do you know going? Because you used to coach Florida, so mm-hmm. what do you what do you think about that? So I thought that I mean for from Hamas perspective, I think especially in hindsight now with everything on the table, I think that was a terrific trade for the Mayhem because it seems like they were planning to perhaps drop their academy team the whole way, and they managed to leverage two of the assets they had on that team into grabbing Fate, who I think. I think he looked unhappy on Valiant. I think he just didn't look like he wanted to be there. But I think a happy fate is one is a, a main tank that can definitely be a top five main tank in the league, especially in a Winston meta. I think his Winston is incredible. So I think, you know, I think Mayhem needed a star player. I think uh, the team really lacked, a, especially in a Goats meta. There's no one who really stood out as a star, and I think Fate can potentially bring that. I don't think he's going to be that big of a lift in a Goats meta necessarily, unless there's other moves that are made um and so far there's only myram i guess but yeah i think from from the mammoth's perspective is definitely definitely a good move to pick pick up someone um someone like fate and maybe try and kind of convince try and convince him of your culture try and get him to stick around long term because obviously mayhem kind of we when I was still there, we hit the reset button. We cleaned out the roster. Obviously, this roster wasn't working. So you kind of hit the reset button twice in a year. You eventually need a piece to build around. And I think Fate can potentially be that piece yeah. if he's if he's happy. Uh, from the Valiant side, I think, I think it's going to be rough because I do believe that Fate was one of their best players, if not their best player. I think actually their flex supports are also pretty strong. Um so I think they do lose a, a big leadership figure, a really good player. I think Fact is decent, but I think, again, I rate Fate very highly when he's happy and he's at his peak. And then I, I do think Shax is really good. I do feel like he could potentially be a starter for Valiant in almost any meta. So especially since they struggled and they rotated their Zarya players quite a bit from stage to stage, going from Kareev to KSF eventually. 
so yeah, I'm not, they, I'm not too sure about the Valiant. Neither neither Mayhem or Valiant can make end of stage or end of season playoffs, mm -hmm. can they? No. So they, you're essentially building for the future, I think, with these moves, which is what you're looking at. You're not really looking at can we make a push for the playoffs like Toronto did. You know, they're yeah. making a move trying to push for the playoffs. Whereas for Mayhem, it's like can we acquire a big piece that we can sort of pivot around and you know build around heading to stage three and with that i think they kind yeah. of accomplished it but i don't really know if that's going to necessarily improve improve results especially since i think they you know I, I think i still remember because i looked at the schedule from our perspective while i was still on mayhem and i know stage one was one of the easier schedules for us and then it got progressively harder and stage three was also going to be pretty hard so yeah but what did you think yeah. about those trades um yeah, i mean i think they're they're decent overall i mean like yeah, Mayhem probably got the better end of the deal, I guess, because, I mean, yeah, like Fate is a is a really good player. Um, I mean, to be, it's like it's definitely weird because like the more he synergizes with teams that he likes to play with, he gets better. Because like I think I think the beginning the beginning of uh, of Team Korea 2018 when he was on that team, like he was like feeding his ass off. Like I don't think he was very good at all when he played in like the against the Korean contenders teams. Uh, but over time, you know, the more he played with them. Um, and the more he enjoyed it, like they were doing well. So I think now that he's on a full Korean team, um, they might do better because they because they have a player that actually benefits from it. Whereas maybe other Koreans won't benefit as much as like someone like Fate will. Um, so I think overall they benefit, and especially since they got rid of like they got to sell or trade or whatever some of their academy players they were gonna drop anyways. Yeah. Um, I think overall Mayhem wins it. Should 100% of the time. I think Shax is good. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I, th I think Shax is good. I think when I when I tried out with him all the times, he, like, carried on Tracer. So I think if they're building for, for a 2 2 meta in the future or something like that, mm -hmm. Shax would definitely be pretty prevalent. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess overall, they're, they're in the right mindset of building for the future. Um, you know, not trying to pick up, like, specifically a Zarya player or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. they're overall doing the right things, I suppose. Uh, yeah. But I th still, Mayhem wins out in the trade, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think what you're saying in terms of Shaxx, I think that's 100% right. He, I think he also has an, a bit of an underrated hero pool, and I think he really thrives in a 2 2 meta because, yeah, he is a star tracer and widow player, but he can also play McCree, and he is primarily a hit scan, but he's the type of hit scan who can flex on a couple of other picks. He has a Doomfist, he has a Pharah. He doesn't really have a Genji, but he can flex on a couple of projectiles, which I think that's what you need if you want to have a permanent starter, so that maybe the other, sort of your DPS partner can kind of just play to his strengths, and then you can adjust to him. And I think Shaq sort of brings that. He's not uh, one or two trick, you know? And in that sense, I yeah. think he's he's a good pickup for for the future. But yeah, like I said, it, it, when you acquire a player who, you know, Fate hasn't played it like a superstar this season, but is kind of a superstar on paper, I think anytime you trade for a player like that, the team that is losing that player is always just getting kind of cents on the dollar, you know, sort of the same way as we were talking about in the NBA. You you give up one of the best players, you're just going to look to add pieces and try to rebuild, but you're not really going to get, you know, the same, like an equivalent return, I guess. Uh, or yeah. it's at least it's very rare to, rare to find these mutually beneficial trades that are going to make both teams better. It's it's very rare to find that. Um, well, it's weird. Like if you compare, let's, let's think about like you remember the trade rumor where like they were going to trade to mm -hmm. Boston or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think so in that situation? If they traded fusions, was what was the trade going to be? It was fusions and it was fusions and asking for KSF and fate. Fusions for KSF and fate. Well, who do you think would have won out in that situation? You think it still would have been Boston, or do you think he would have been upset because he's still not on a full Korean roster? Mm. I think on paper. Yeah, I think on paper, definitely Boston wins that trade. I think, especially since that trade would have happened at a time, I think, where Fusion's value was at its peak. I don't think his value is the same now than it was one and a half, like one and a half months ago. You know, he came in, he made an impact, he was a vocal leader, which I think inflated his value a ton. And I think he is a very solid Reinhardt. He's obviously a very consistent shot caller. He has a lot of intangible... Uh, qualities and he's still young so it is he's a pretty good western main tank to build around considering there aren't many western main tanks in the league who are actually competitive but i also think again his value was a little inflated i think fate is a better player overall especially considering the entirety of the map pool i think fusions has looked more lost on winston whereas that's the strength of fate so i think both in terms of the tank swap and the dps swap i think I think KSF is some, you know, a significantly better player than asking as well. So I think actually, I don't know how much cash would have potentially exchanged hands in that type of a trade, but I feel like that trade would have been potentially worse for, um, for for the value. I think they would have gotten a main tank that's younger, that's nice to build around, but they would have missed out. I think on a much better DPS ascend and prospect in Shacks. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, I mean, I think I agree with you, like, for the future. I think, uh, I think it, like, benefits bot or benefits, um, Valiant still with the current trade they got. Mm-hmm. But I think if they're building for goats, I think Valiant would probably yeah. win that. Like, yeah. I probably, to, like, it's probably kind of polarizing, I guess, because, like, I, I think that fusions, if, like, maybe instead of asking if they got Blase or something like that mm-hmm. with the trade, they'd have, like, a really good brig player. Yeah. And they'd have, like, a really good main tank player. Um, so I don't know. I think I I don't know who pulled out of that deal really in that situation, hmm. uh, but I think Valiant might have actually done well because like I I to, personally I rate Fusions really highly. Yeah. Um, I think he's a really good player. It's nice to have a very vocal yeah. main tank. Yeah. Um, and I think before you know before I played in like even ranked with Fusions or something like that, I maybe like underrated it a little bit because I thought it was like maybe he talks too much or something like that, but like realistically when you when you play with them like you understand why he talks so much and that like overall it's like really beneficial because you know it helps your flex support a lot and just overall that just like gives the team a big benefit so i think fusions is definitely personally i I really rate him highly so no for sure for sure i I think yeah for sure i think they would have done better in this meta in, in the next stage uh and and i do agree like as a coach as well i love guys who are Coming consistently like it doesn't matter if you lose if you're if you win like from what i see in in that guy he communicates consistently all the time regardless of situation and if you have that that's an intangible quality that is just so hard to find especially in a main tank guy who just doesn't get flustered and calls especially at a young age so you know i i agree like in terms of western main tanks there's there aren't many there there's muma there's super and there's fusions right and i think there's you know, those guys hold a ton of value because of how rare Western uh, main tanks are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird 
because like also also on top of that no by the way you're lagging a little bit yeah all right am i good now yeah we can restart let's go all right um well i I don't know like yeah like like all these main tanks and especially in the west are like very rare um but i think at the same time if you like even look out to people that don't play that much or whatever like we have we have gator on Mm -hmm. like in our on our two-way contract like gator is really good especially in, in in NA contenders, I think maybe I got too much credit in yep. comparison to Gator. Like Gator was already an owl, so I guess it wasn't like that big of a, maybe big of a deal for mm-hmm. him. I I don't know. I th- I think Gator is definitely one of the best um, NA main tanks, and maybe he'll get like a he probably will get a trout for, for Team US. Super is really good too. So yeah. Gator has some tough competition, and the fact that he hasn't played for what half a year now is kind of feels bad, man, for him. Yeah. But yeah. You never know. I I think Gator's also really good, and you know, time will tell if um, if if it's if it's proven or not. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it it is rare. It's it's kind of a rare commodity, and kind of if you can find the right guy and really foster that talent, I think, you know, you see someone like Super who is, I think, in this meta at least, the best main tank in the league, especially on Ryan. I think there's maybe he still has something to prove on Winston, but at least on Ryan, I think he's just phenomenal, as is the rest of the shock. But and and then he's kind of a face outwards as well. You know, he's way more marketable than most other players. So I think he just has has a ton of value as a player. And if you can find that in, in a Western player, you know, in Gator, Infusions, and uh, Muma, in, in all of these guys, I think yeah, the, there's there's a ton of value. And in, in the midst of all that, you also mentioned World Cup. So I guess that's kind of an interesting thing. Obviously, it's still far off, but. Uh, are you gonna try to make the the team as well, uh, Team USA? And do you what do you think about your chances and your competition? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I I'd love to get on Team USA. I don't know how likely it is. I mean, it's just like anything else. Like with uh, with my with my view on getting Overwatch League, I, I think it's more I'm more focused on myself and trying to be the best player I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think yeah, there's some tough competition in the Flexport role. I mean, there's Rockus, there's Sleepy's really good. Um, there's like other players like Goliath and Haku, some tier two players that are really good. Um, so it definitely be hard to, to make team USA. Um, but I think regardless team USA or not, or if I get, if I got on team USA, I think I'd be more focused on the long-term goal anyways, is just kind of beating, um, teams like team UK or team Korea, stuff like that in um world cup first before anything else i guess mm-hmm. um oh well, yeah i don't know i hope i make team usa but you know my life's not on the line if i do or do not so do you think team US, uh, do you think team usa right? can sorry for interrupting do you think uh, team usa can build the roster that can beat korea this year uh yeah i think for sure i think every year they have the opportunity to um it's just it's it's difficult because like the medic can change on you mm-hmm. and you don't know how to react like so like we I think even like Team USA had freaking Sinatra on Brig man they had Sinatra on Brig at the at, in Goat or something like that so like I don't know as soon as you put like as soon as you make questionable decisions like that I think it's kind of like over for Team USA like you need to be sure a hundred percent of the time every time it's like. And it's like hard to be sure at the same time, so like you can give them some slack. Um, but it's like if, if a 2 2 2 meta happens, like you need to be prepared for that. You need to be prepared for also a GOATS meta if, in case that's still around. So 
it's just like important to to always be flexible. Um, and obviously, if Team USA doesn't do well, that blame will fall on somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the times it's a player, some of the time it's coach. And I guess we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so but but I you, think this year we have a chance. But you said uh, wasn't Sinatra on Zarya because he said he was on break. Do you mean like initially in sort of the practice leading up to it, and then he swapped to Zarya? Because yeah. I'm pretty sure he wasn't Zarya in, in the playoffs. Yeah, I I think I just remember him playing Brig in I don't remember when. I I saw him on Brig on like Helios. Was it was he really not on Brig? Shoot, man. I'm pretty sure he I, was I on like... Zarya. And then people like were kind of, and then people, I I do believe that people were flaming him for his Zarya, like, oh, he's just kind of feeding, and then he goes on oh, and really? becomes the best Zarya, you know, because like the team, I think, just didn't have that much synergy, and then he goes on to being, you know, the best Zarya in Al, which is like a little ironic, but uh, I, I do, I'm almost certain that he was on Zarya, and then I think hydration was on Brig. Okay, well, in that regard, then I guess if if he wasn't on Brig, yeah. I think. For the most part, like to switch the narrative, I think for the like he is like ha- has been a good Zarya and like already was a really good Zarya. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people tend to like tend to hold like w- I guess like hold Western players to like a weird um, like accountability, I guess, or something like that, or like. They they tend to not like give credit where credits due all the time if a team's not doing well or if a player is still in development or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like they think like oh if a player's bad he can never be good or yeah. something like that. And like for the most part, especially with young players, that's not the case. So like, um, I don't know. I I think Sinatra already showed like signs of brilliance early on. Anyways, um, it's just people tend to like hate on Western players a lot. Um, for, for obviously right reasons. I mean, like for the most part, we haven't had much success against like Korean players as a whole. Um, so it kind of makes sense. There's some, you know, thing behind it, the behind the criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you can't be like totally shocked when Western players as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, I think with Team USA last World Cup, it was just kind of I don't think they maybe had as many reps on goats as other teams because I remember when team Sweden kind of scrimmed them in the summer. So this was before the playoffs, before they lost to the UK uh, and kind of before the group stages. And if I remember correctly, there were a lot of scrims where we played against USA and they wouldn't be playing goats. Even if we, even if we were playing goats, they would be playing in like Doomfist Farrakoms to counter, I think with Sinatra on the doom and hydration on the Farah. And they obviously had a lot of success at that point because, like, we weren't as good on goats as maybe some of the other teams, uh, especially UK who progressed. But a, a team like UK, a team like France, they only played goats for the entirety of the time. So I think they they had probably, you know, maybe thirty, forty, maybe fifty hours of uh, more experience than yeah. Team USA heading into the playoffs. And I think that kind of adds up in terms of your fundamentals and in terms of being solid, in terms of the teamwork. Like we just talked about how many little things go into making a GOATS team work that just switching out one player kind of throws everything off. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's important to like be flexible and like mm-hmm. to, to not, to be able to change when somebody's playing better than you or like when it's not, not playing better than you. To, to just change when somebody's doing something like a strategy better than you or something like that. Yeah. Like, oh, we think you're cutting out again. Yeah, you're cutting out a bit. Thing. That's the biggest, like, USA again. 
I don't know, wait till I... Yeah. Yeah. All right, let me know when I'm, let me think, know when I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I, think, I think you're good now, and you have to roll back, like, three sentences, okay. maybe. Yeah, I can, like, I can see whenever it cuts out. So yeah. So the, Ooh, now it's getting out again. The, uh, keep that in mind. Um, there, oh, good. oh, it's getting worse. It's getting All right, worse. we're good. <laughs> we're back. We're, we're on a oh. lifeline here. We're on one red stick. It caught up. To, it went up to like 4k ms or something like that. Yeah. Um. But anyway, I think it's important for 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 Team USA to be like flexible. That's like the biggest thing. Um. Like, for instance, when we were on like when I was on Land Academy and we scrimmed Envy and they were playing they were playing goats for the this is like the first time we played goats and we just got absolutely like crushed and we were like oh man are we just playing bad are we not countering it well. Um, and I think a lot of the a lot of the time that might be like due to like a coach's ego or something like that that you don't swap maybe maybe ego or arrow arrow or ego whatever you want to call him maybe he, he thought that like they weren't playing it well enough to counter goats or something like that so they never swapped for the longest time you know mm -hmm. so I think it's like on a coach to put aside that ego or like on the team to do like as a whole decide to not run the same stupid shit over and over again right you have to change to whatever the best thing is mm -hmm. um and at the time it was goats and they just didn't adapt fast enough yeah. so i think that's just going to be the biggest factor and i mean I guess any world cup team mm -hmm. is to not and, th and that's maybe why like team uk like did so well is because they can like change so quickly like they don't have an ego to to put aside you know mm -hmm. um and hopefully team usa this year puts that aside and thinks of the greater good yeah. Yeah. I mean, at, at the same time, it, it's. I think also it was very easy for them to kind of talk themselves into that they were doing the right thing because playing those compositions, they didn't have any trouble against the teams they were scrimming against. You know, they weren't really scrimming against the best teams. I guess the best team they potentially could have scrimmed against was Canada and us, and they didn't. I guess have any trouble with with that with with their comps and that. And I think they actually went and I think they had a very easy stage. Uh, in terms of qualifying for the World Cup, and they played kind of their own stuff and managed to get through, you know, with, with a breeze. So I think it's kind of easy to look look at the short term and be like, "This is working. We have the counter to goats. These guys are going to have to adapt to us. And then if they adapt to us, well, then we are going to be we're going to have that hour edge in terms of the hours that we put into these compositions. So you know, you, you kind of I guess I guess never know. They they didn't really appreciate. So I suppose the strength of goats and maybe didn't invest as many hours, but you know who knows. But yeah, I do I do think like this year, you know, potentially USA could make a run. I think a lot of the players really developed. You know, Super Sinatra, those guys were um, very young last year, and now they they're veterans. They've won stage championships, so I think they're you know USA is going to be in a good spot heading into into this year. But yeah, yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, uh, and I think yeah, that's a good way to. To wrap up we've been going on for a very long time so do you do you have anything uh any closing words anything you want to shout out any shout outs to the fans um yeah shout outs to the fans thanks for thanks for watching guys um what is it? i know i have the i have this black screen up that you can't see but shout out to cox because usually you know it'd be nice to have our sponsorship more uh readily available but yeah, thanks for having me, Mineral. Shout out to you. Appreciate oh. it. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks for uh, agreeing to coming on, Dogman. It was a pleasure as always. And uh, for the listeners, if you want to check out the VOD, you can obviously do that 
on YouTube and the podcast is also on Spotify. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on like five different platforms that I remember that I've never heard of, but that got automatically put on there. So basically go to your favorite platform, search for Tempo Shift, and there's a pretty good chance you might find it there. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening.